in the good old days when you found sitting incumbents literally, it seems like, colluding, coordinating with neutral election supervisors, that would be kind of considered scandalous, you know? But in the United Corporations of America, just, just another day at the office. For those of you that remember Debbie Wasserman Schultz, she was the DNC chief that helped uh, the DNC in 2016 rig the primary for Hillary Clinton uh, against um, Bernie Sanders. Uh, she then um, had help, I guess, rigging her pr pr uh, primary against Tim Canova. If you recall, uh, Broward County, which her district is in down there in South Florida, the supervisor of election broke election law in destroying paper ballots. A federal judge ruled that the supervisor of elections had broken federal election law by essentially destroying paper ballots in the race that Debbie Wasserman Schultz had versus Tim Canova. You're supposed to preserve the paper ballots if you are a supervisor of elections. This uh, election supervisor, Brenda Snipes, who was forced to resign, did keep her pension, though. Isn't that great? Um, you know, tossed away any evidence of election fraud. That's why you keep paper ballots. Tim Canova lost, I believe, by 14 points in 2016, which at that time, for a relative no-name, was not a huge amount to lose to a longtime incumbent. And his campaign had accused Debbie Wasserman Schultz of getting significant help uh, and of basically rigging the vote. So they demanded to see the paper ballots to see, did they really lose by 14 points? But the paper ballots were nowhere to be found. Uh, sorry if I'm giving you PTSD from 2016. So again, she had to resign in pretty much disgrace, uh, not Debbie Wasserman Schultz, but the election supervisor. But, the, and the new supervisor of elections that came in said, uh, I'm doing things differently. This will be a neutral process, blah, 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 blah. So this time around, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is facing a progressive challenger. Why does this matter? Because we have, you know, we know Republicans try to rig the vote. But we, how do you actually change things? How do you make this a more progressive country if you cannot, in all circumstances, whether Florida, whether uh, any other city or state, if you cannot have faith that every election, primaries, state primaries in Congress, primaries in Senate, presidential primaries are credible, have integrity. Well, we know in 2016, a federal judge ruled the supervisor of elections who was supposed to be neutral was basically rigging it for Debbie Wasserman Schultz. By the way, if you've never seen this, this is who the supervisor of elections was in 2016, the one who had to resign in disgrace. Does anything in this picture I'm about to show you look a little funky? So this was the supervisor of elections in 2016, sitting there posing with Debbie Wasserman Schultz during a campaign event for Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the neutral supervisor of elections who then destroyed paper ballots. So it kind of seemed like a big effing deal to me when somebody sent me this message earlier today.
Where are you? Debbie Wasserman Schultz emailed this out to her supporters. Do you have election questions? Please join me Friday, August 7th at 10 a.m. So tomorrow, 10 a.m. For a Q&A session with Broward County Supervisor of Elections, Peter Antanasi, and Miami-Dade County Supervisor of Elections, Christina White. If you have questions for the supervisors, email them to blah, 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 prior to the event. We'll ask some of the most relevant questions. If you want to watch the event, it will be streamed live to my Facebook page at 10 a.m. on Friday. So, why does this matter, you might ask? Well, again, the supervisor of elections in 2016, who illegally destroyed paper ballots and was forced to resign... No, she wasn't sent to jail, even though what she did was illegal. Uh, Yes, she was able to keep her pension, even though she illegally destroyed paper ballots. The new supervisor of elections is literally holding an event with Debbie Wasserman Schultz one day before early voting begins down in South Florida in Debbie Wasserman Schultz's district. 11 days before the in-person primary between Debbie Wasserman Schultz and progressive challenger Jennifer Perlman. What's interesting about this is I combed through Wasserman Schultz's Facebook, her Twitter, couldn't find this invitation. So essentially, from what I could gather, Debbie Wasserman Schultz emailed this to her supporters So it is obviously inappropriate, especially in a district that, again, the previous neutral supervisor of elections had to resign after illegally destroying paper ballots. It is very, very suspect and inappropriate why the current supervisor of elections would agree to join basically a campaign event for the longtime sitting incumbent. Now, the supervisor of elections, he would be free to do whatever kind of events he wants to inform voters of the different options, of the fact that the early voting is now open, of mail-in ballots, of you know ways that you could socially distance while voting. That would be the job of the supervisor of elections by themselves, not in a joint event with the sitting incumbent. Oh, by the way, one day before early voting begins. I don't know. Call me cynical Susie, but it kind of gives off the impression of impropriety. I reached out to the supervisor of elections asking, um... I don't know, being that your predecessor narrowly escaped jail by illegally rigging the election for Debbie Wasserman Schultz in 2016, should you be joining the sitting incumbent on a live stream answering election Q&A questions? Because to me, her primary challenger, Debbie Wasserman Schultz's primary challenger, Jennifer Perlman, isn't invited to this public meeting so 
how is it a public meeting open to everybody if one candidate, the longtime sitting incumbent, is hosting it? Her challenger isn't involved. And the neutral election supervisor, who, frankly, he's not the one who destroyed the paper ballots, but he is the supervisor of election in an area with a track record for election integrity issues. So I reached out saying, uh, isn't this kind of like electioneering? Isn't this kind of like giving off the impression that you're kind of like working with one candidate versus the other? So this is what I got back from Pete Antanasi. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing. Yes, we feel it is appropriate to participate in public forums with sitting elected officials. We pride ourselves on being accessible, transparent, and accountable. Yeah. So, first of all, this is not a public forum. Technically, to the letter of, I guess, technology, it's public because it will be on Facebook and live. So I guess he could get away with saying this is a public forum, but this isn't in person because there's a pandemic and Florida is a hot zone. So it's online. The back end of this is controlled by a candidate, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. She is hosting this quote-unquote Q&A on the elections one day before early voting starts i wonder if debbie wasserman schultz and the election supervisor will be telling the participants and the viewers of this quote-unquote q a early voting is tomorrow but again she debbie wasserman schultz has not promoted this on facebook on twitter as far as i know this has only been sent out to her email list of her supporters. So again, when the supervisor of elections, Pete Antanasi, says to me, we feel it is appropriate to participate in public forums with sitting elected officials. Again, how is it a public forum if the only way of knowing about this is if you are on Debbie Wasserman Schultz's email list? I've gone through her Facebook for the last two weeks. Nothing. Nothing about this. Twitter, same thing. It's not a public forum. It's a basically a virtual election Q&A. The longtime sitting incumbent is hosting, inviting the neutral supervisor of elections with basically only Debbie Wasserman Schultz's email list recipients knowing about it. Basically, it's a campaign event rallying her base to start, to start sending in their mail-in ballots and to early vote with the supervisor of elections joining. Uh, does, does corruption exist anymore? Do conflicts of interest exist anymore? This isn't about just Debbie Wasserman Schultz. This is about election integrity. This is about fraud. This is a district that, again, just four years ago, had the supervisor of election, I hate to be a broken record, illegally destroying paper ballots, which are meant to be backup sources to make sure that the count that's going out is accurate. 
I mean, it's just mind blowing, absolutely mind blowing that this is happening in broad daylight. I sent it around to journalists today, other than Ryan Grimm with The Intercept. Most of them didn't even most of them didn't respond to me or didn't even share this. I even sent it to progressive media. They didn't share it. I asked some follow-up questions, and the supervisor spokesperson told me, sorry for the confusion. We are not hosting the event. We are invited, and as with as many invites as we can manage, we accepted. So I wrote back, uh, that's kind of a distinction without a difference. Actually, I think it's a little worse that you're not hosting it and you're just joining one candidate's event, the supervisor of elections should not be attached to any events with candidates. They are supposed to supervise the election. They are supposed to basically be godless when it comes to candidates. If, again, if Pete Antanasi, the supervisor of elections, wants to hold a digital Q&A informing Florida's 23rd district voters how they vote when early voting is how you could do a mail-in ballot all those things have at it that would be great but that's not what's happening here this is a virtual meeting hosted by Debbie Wasserman Schultz without her opponent partaking with the supervisor of elections that is that's coordination the follow-up questions I sent to Mr. Antanasi were not responded to. Uh, in a sane country, in a sane country, uh, you know, politicians wouldn't let deadlines pass where people are going to lose any way to make money, lose any way to keep a roof over their head, and possibly face eviction. That would be a sane country. But that deadline is come and gone. So right now, the people who are living off that $600 uh, unemployment, they don't have any money coming in. Maybe they have their state unemployment if they're lucky enough. But most state unemployment are off offering crumbs to unemployed people. Arizona is like $220 a week. I think North Carolina, I spoke with someone getting $175 a week before taxes, by the way. Today... After this deadline passed, we have 20th straight week, more than a million Americans filing for jobless claims. Uh, even as enhanced benefits expired, the media painted it as some improvement because it's lower than the week before. But if you actually read in between the lines, which kudos to this Washington Post reporter, this is not good news. This is not good news. 31.3 million Americans are receiving unemployment aid. That number went up. In July, a signal that A, many layoffs became permanent, and B, states finally worked through their backlogs. So if you look at the numbers, a lot of these layoffs are now permanent, not temporary layoffs. The thing that is most striking to me is this basic fairy tale pixie dust bullshit that Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic Party is trying to put forward that it's all the Republicans' fault. I mean, don't get me wrong. Trump is the president. Uh, McConnell 
Republicans, Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, Steve Mnuchin, uh, you know, they could fix, they could sign on and just keep it going. I think the Democrats wanted till the end of um, the first quarter of next year. So all they would have to do is just keep the $600 uh, a week going, uh, continue the eviction moratorium, if you ask me, not make it a moratorium, just cancel the rent, forgiveness completely. Because it's not like just having a moratorium is enough. That just delays evictions. Because if you're not forgiving it, all of these people that are unemployed are going to owe months and months and months and months and months of back pay, of rent. No working person could afford that. No working person could afford that. But you have Nancy Pelosi. Just here's one example of, of the crap she's saying. But none of them is, I want to stay home because I make more money this way than other. Maybe some of these employers can pay their workers more. But let's not, you know, not to go to that place just because I wouldn't paint all of them with that brush. We shouldn't be uh, worrying about how much it's going to cost. So I said to the secretary, the plural of anecdote is not data. You have some examples. Write them down and let's add it up. And I'll show you my list of money that has been squandered, given to businesses who should not have gotten PPP. I don't know if you heard that. Nancy Pelosi basically saying maybe employers could pay their workers more money. Gee, maybe. It's not like you have any power over employers in America. It's not like you controlled the House and the Senate when President Obama was president for two years. Democrats had control of both chambers. I mean, Republicans haven't done shit either. But it's not like you don't control the House of Representatives now and maybe could propose some things that would force workers, excuse me, force employers to pay their workers more. Maybe now that you're, you know, waxing poetic on how terrible the Republicans are, which they are, maybe you shouldn't have agreed to the original bill that set this to expire in four months during a pandemic with no vaccine. Maybe you should have demanded since you had leverage in March and April that we're not going to sign anything giving corporations money first, that we're going to take care of the working people of America first. Again, when you had leverage, no, I am not signing anything that gives corporate America any money. That could come later if they need the money. Right now, we need to deal with workers, the unemployed, people losing health care. But you have Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer going in front of cameras just saying how terrible the Republicans are. But that only paints half the picture. Yeah, Trump is the president. The buck stops with him. Yes, the Republicans could just continue all of these things that we so desperately need. But again... The reason that Republicans do not feel forced to do the extension of the $600 a week, more than a $1,200 check, any type of UBI, is because they already got what they wanted, and that was trillions of dollars for their donors, for the bankers, for the oil companies, for the pharmaceutical companies, Silicon Valley, their donors. A lot of the donors are getting small small business PPP 
program money that was actually meant for mom and pop small businesses, but got routed and, and basically laundered to donors of Republicans and Democrats. So I have a hard time. All I see is CNN, MSNBC putting forth Pelosi and other Democrats, and it's just theater. Because Pelosi, the master legislator, as they call her, she gave the Republicans exactly what they wanted. And now, yeah, only because Trump is down in the polling and he might take the Republican Senate with him, Republicans might lose the Senate because of how toxic Trump is right now. Yeah, Pelosi and the Democrats are lucky that they have any leverage now. But my whole point in establishing this is I don't want to hear anything from the Democrats until they demand. No, we're not moving at all. We're $600 or bust. We want more than a $1,200 check because this pandemic is not going anywhere. And unfortunately, it's extending in to 2021. It's already August. 1,400 people died yesterday in America. At the height, it was 3,000. Now we're at 1,400. Cases are still increasing in double-digit states. They don't, nobody really knows as the weather gets cooler in a, maybe a month, month and a half. They've thought that as the weather cools, you'll have a second wave. And then you have, so the Democrats, I would actually credit them if they said the only thing to negotiate is extending this to the end of, to the beginning of next year. And adding in these negotiations, there's not one word about health care. Can you believe that? There is not one word that the Democrats are proposing or the Republicans about how are people that are unemployed going to get health care. I've spoken with people that can't even get through trying to get Medicaid. You think unemployment is bad to get right now? It ain't so easy to get on the Medicaid rolls right now. Obamacare? How are you going to afford the deductibles? Co-pays? Outrageous rates in states like New York, California. And then you have, I just want to give you one example. Uh, Pelosi's number two in the House. Let's take a look at what Steny Hoyer had to say. To get to a deal, what's interesting right. here is you've got Steve Mnuchin, you've got Mark Meadows saying it's you that are being intransigent in this. It's them that have come up on some issues. I don't want to go into the nitty gritty, but are Wait. you letting the perfect be the enemy of the good, as I often have to ask when it comes to negotiations in Congress? No, we're, we're letting the absolutely essential uh, be the goal, not not the good, not the great, not the best, the absolutely essential in terms of confronting the virus, in terms of having state and local governments have the resources to help respond to the virus and prop up the economy and to individuals, not only with respect to unemployment insurance, but to what those personal payments that, that we were making, corporations uh, who are going to lay people off that we need to help keep those people employed. Uh, no, no, no. It's not the, not the perfect that, that's the enemy. It is the essential. Uh, and very frankly, if the, this administration had acted in the last two and a half months and come up with an alternative, we would have reached an agreement before we left uh, in July uh, for do you think, do, these negotiations. Do, 
Do you think Friday, it's Friday or bust, as Mnuchin seemed to lay out? If you don't agree on major issues on Friday, you, there's going to be no deal? I, I don't know what he means by Friday or bust. It, it, let's That's say we my don't take make, on it, but yeah. Well, but I, I, I totally reject that, and I hope Mnuchin uh, reflects upon that. There is no walking away from the American people. There's no walking away from these folks who are confronting a crisis and their families are confronting a crisis. If we don't get the deal Friday, we need to get it Saturday. We need to get it done as soon as we possibly can. And I hope it. I hope that means Friday. I hope it means Saturday. Uh, and the I will threat, call them. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, with, Majority Leader. The, 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 threat, the threat from the president that you just you, you noted that he says that he's, he could take executive action if you don't come to a deal. Is that a threat you take seriously? Well, it's hard to take anything the president says seriously because he's all over the ballpark every day. Uh, one minute he says this and the next minute he says the opposite. So, uh, you know, whether or not he has the power to do that, I just heard the, that statement, so I don't know what he has in mind. But we ought not to have to rely on an executive order that may be questionable because that will leave so many people in deep, deep distress and in danger uh, because you'll only be able to deal with one part of the problem. Are we prepared to make a deal on the money? We're not going to get 3.4 trillion. We understand that. But the fact of the matter is, you know what, just for fun, let me just remind you who this is, Steny Hoyer. Do you remember the intercept broke this a couple years ago when Steny Hoyer basically was caught on hot tape forcing, trying to force a progressive candidate out of a race in Colorado? You would like me to get out of the race. And of course, that's that's correct. Yeah, I know you're fundraising for Crow. Yeah, you know? I'm for Crow. I'm for Crow because the judgment was made very early on, and it just made the decision. So your position is a decision was made, you know, very early on before voters had a say. That's fine because that's the DCCC knows better than the voters of the 6th Congressional District, and we should line up behind that candidate. That's certainly a consequence of our decision. There are two things I'd like you to consider. One may be easier than the other. The first would be, uh, if you stay in the race, mm -hmm. frankly, I would hope you would not. I'll get to that. But if you stay in the race, it is not useful to the objective to tear down Crow. Crow's mm -hmm. clearly the favorite. That doesn't mean you win. It just means he's the favorite. I hear you. That doesn't mean it's right. It just means no. no, I hear you. Right. I don't know Crow well, but I think he's a decent human being. So before we, before we go any further on that, Crow is the favorite. In no small part, Congressman Hoyer, because the DCCC not only put its finger on the scale, but started jumping on the scale very early on. And I'm born and raised a Democrat. I mean, it's undemocratic to have a small elite select someone and then try to rig the primary against the other people running. And that is, that is basically what's been happening. I hear you, and I disagree. Uh, I hear you. I just disagree that it's undemocratic to have a small elite rigged the primary, but that's neither here nor there. So, I mean, so I just played that so you kind of have an idea who you're dealing with here. But riddle me this, okay? 
again, we are in this moment, August 6th, a week after unemployment, the $600 unemployment extension, gone. Eviction moratorium, gone. Most states, you could be evicted now. Okay? So we're here because the Republicans got exactly what they wanted four or five months ago when the Democrats had maximum um, leverage. So now that the Democrats have a little leverage left, they had no leverage after they gave away the farm in the beginning, four to six trillion dollars to corporate America. Now they have a little leverage because Trump is desperate to get something done. He's just hemorrhaging in most polls. If the election were held today, Trump would lose by a lot, it seems, according to the polls. So Democrats have maximum leverage, or I I wouldn't say maximum, but a good amount of leverage. And you have Pelosi saying, well, maybe employers could pay their workers more money. Just maybe. We don't have any control over that. You know, controlling the House of Representatives here. Steny Hoyer goes on. Well, of course, we know we're not going to get to three. We're definitely not going to get to three point four trillion. Why can't you get the three point four trillion? Why can't you get more than the three point four trillion? Why aren't you demanding not only the six hundred dollar expansion, the six hundred dollar unemployment to continue, but add something else onto that? We don't know when this is going to end. We don't know if a lot of these jobs will be permanently gone because a lot of these businesses might be permanently gone. Why don't you add something in terms of health care? Call it whatever you want. If you don't want to call it Medicare for all, fine. But you're not proposing anything in terms of health care and not demanding the Republicans do anything on health care. Right now, you actually could be the hostage takers if you were the Democrats, if if. You actually do how to do politics. Trump, desperate. He's talking about doing executive actions on these things. McConnell doesn't want to lose the Senate. Why aren't you going in front of cameras and saying, no, the American people are desperate. This is not the time for compromise because we are dealing with a pandemic. We cannot compromise on the American people keeping a roof over their head. We cannot compromise on families being able to feed their children. We cannot compromise on people being able to have health care without the worry of cost during a deadly pandemic that we don't know when it will end or how it will evolve. Now is the time not to sit here and say, oh, this is Washington and we have to compromise, but to start hostage taking. You have the leverage because Trump is going to lose. You have the leverage because the Republican Senate might go down with him. But you're going on TV saying, well, of course, we're not going to get the $3.4 trillion. If it were me, I'd say to hell with it. I'm not meeting with them. There's nothing to meet about. We've fallen off the cliff. They have thrown the American people off the cliff. They, the Republicans, they're talking about a $300, now that now they're moving up to $300 a week. Put it on the Republicans. Yet, they basically, again, as Bernie used to say, starting by offering half a loaf. 
$600 a week, honestly, is, is, is great. But what the Democrats should say is we cannot continue with uh, piecemeal. We're going to extend it for four months, five months. We need to pass a law, universal basic income, until doctors, medical professionals like Dr. Fauci say it is safe for children to go to school. It is safe for all workers to go back to work. It is safe for people to congregate. And that might not be for another year. Let's be real. So we need structural safeguards in that are not going to run out in three, four months. They always say businesses need certainty. That's a bunch of bull****. But anyway, people need certainty. Parents need certainty. Okay? Single mothers need certainty. Working people need certainty. Black and brown people that have been disproportionately affected by this, both economically and with health outcomes, they need certainty. And don't get it twisted. The Republicans, I mean, the buck stops with the president. The president, the Republicans have the Senate. So it's not just Pelosi's fault. It's not just Schumer's fault. But the bottom line is, don't tell me after you drove the getaway car of the original terrible bill, you've all seen it, don't tell me after you assisted the bank robbery and then turn around and pretend I wasn't there. What are you talking about? I wasn't driving the car. I wasn't even in, I wasn't even in the state. Hell yeah, Pelosi Schumer helped loot the treasury of four to six trillion dollars. And now they're basically saying, well, you know, we're here to compromise and, you know, the Republicans are awful, but we need to do something for the American people. I was saying three weeks before, a month before the expiration of the unemployment, of the moratorium, why weren't they in front of uh, cameras then, a month before this? And by the way, Friday is the last day before they take recess. Congress goes on recess for the rest of August. It's quite the racket. If you could get in as a congressperson, you get to screw the American people. You get to operate in a system of legalized bribery where you sell your representation for the highest bidder, meaning to the donors. And then you get to go on vacation all the time. I'm tired of being told that this will restore the soul of America. And by the way, what you all know, but most people don't know, unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things. Yes, and by the way, what you all know, but most people don't know, Unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things. Yeah, you know, Trump's the only racist in town. Trump's the only one with the mind going. This is why I'm frustrated, because you're relegated and attacked on Twitter and all these places. If you dare, just call it what it is. Joe Biden is corrupt. Joe Biden, frankly, ain't dealing with a full 
deck anymore. You want to say he's not racist? He's definitely ignorant on many issues of racial sensitivity. Most importantly, Joe Biden is from the good old boys era of politics, where it's okay to be corrupt. It's okay that donors run the show. It's okay uh, to basically accept, you know, what do they call it? Um, the soft bigotry of low expectations. We could only do so much incremental change. That's gotten us to where we're at now. So as much as I hate Trump, and I do, I don't want you to get it twisted. I'd like to see Trump go. I can't cheer for the Lincoln Project. I can't cheer these resistance wine moms on Twitter, you know, pretending that Joe Biden will save us and democracy will be restored if we just get rid of Trump. We don't have a democracy. And it's not because of Trump. Trump has made it worse. Oh, devil's advocate, you say, okay, Jordan, well, we'll go against Biden. But right now we got to get rid of Trump. So I'm with you. But we just got to get rid of Trump, and then we'll go against Biden. Unfortunately, that's usually not how it works. These same resistance frauds that only speak up when it's federal troops in Portland, tear-gassing protesters, tear-gassing moms, tear-gassing vets, they'll go back to sleep when it's the police doing it under President Biden. These same people ranting that Trump is destroying the planet Ranting about the pipelines and all this. Tomorrow I'll be covering uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline, which uh, an appeals court has now overruled a federal judge who stopped, ruled that the pipeline needed to stop flowing oil. An appeals court, shockingly, has overruled that, allowing the company once again to continue flowing uh, toxic crude oil under the longest river in America. So I'm trying to get uh, an interview with the attorney for the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. So just as people were celebrating, remember, I said cautious optimism because this can be overturned on appeal. As of now, it has been overturned on appeal. But, but the bottom line is I can't in good conscience sit here and pretend that it's all Trump and just getting rid of Trump will restore some type of basic decency. It's not a decent country if you don't provide health care for your people. It's not a decent country if during a pandemic, your proposal, and this is Biden and the Democrats, it's not a decent country if your proposal during a pandemic where it's crucial that people don't hesitate to get care or go get tested uh, because they might hesitate for lack of health care. That is happening. There has been plenty of people that have not uh, gone to get tested and just said, oh, well, if I have it, I have it, and continued to go out because they don't want to get stuck with the bill. So it's not decent, and there's no soul to restore if you already don't have one. I don't want to hear how great the country will be when Joe Biden gets in here if he still won't guarantee health care, a paid sick leave, have basic demands for corporations. He just told corporate America at a private fundraiser this before I went on vacation. Two donors. Corporate America has to change its ways. It's not going to require legislation. I'm not proposing any. We've got to think about how we deal people back in. 
basically to his donors once again, guys, do me a solid. Give a couple more crumbs to the worker bees. I'm not going to make you do it. I'm not proposing anything per se. But, you know, try not to be so greedy. And why is this important? Also, why is this important? I think that because Joe Biden is basically running Hillary Clinton's campaign on steroids, I mean, he has double, tripled down. He's not proposing anything. Hillary Clinton didn't propose anything. It was all Trump is terrible. Trump is a threat. Trump is an unprecedented, uh, you know, evil. Vote for me. That's what Joe Biden's doing. You see similar things happen. The media narrative starts to form. It's over. Trump's, Trump's going to lose in a landslide. That's happening now. And the media says, well, the difference is uh, Biden's not as unpopular as Hillary was. That's true. The polls show that. But there's also something else. A lot can be shown by energy on the ground. For example, I just spoke with Jason, uh, our, our uh, freelancer who does some reporting for us in Philadelphia. He told me he's been around Pennsylvania. All he's seeing is Trump lawn signs. He hasn't seen one for Biden, including in the suburbs. I said this in 2016 when I was on the campaign trail for the Young Turks. I'm not seeing any energy out there for Hillary Clinton. I don't even see any streets, uh, lawn signs. Well, why is that? Because if you consistently have candidates that don't run on run on anything that don't inspire people to go out and vote for them but in, tell you to go out and vote against the opponent it tends to depress the vote that you need sure older people will come out for you sure uh suburbia might come out for you the pundits and all that will come out for you but are the young black people going to come out for you under 40 are the young uh, Latinos going to come out for you under 40? Are young people under 40 going to come out for you in the numbers that you need? Because if you're not inspiring them, they might decide not to. Because the bottom line is, if you're unemployed, if you're facing eviction, your cynicism tends to get in there. Hopelessness tends to get in there. You start thinking, oh, yeah, Republicans are awful, but have the Democrats really gone to the mat for me either? Have they gone all the way trying to get me out of this situation? So I don't think it's a foregone conclusion at all that Trump's going to lose. I hope he loses. But the whole point of what I'm saying I just have a problem pretending that our democracy is on the line here and Trump is such a unique threat. You know what? Trump's a unique threat. Biden's a threat, too, because to me, it's a threat if we continue not to have universal health care. That is a threat to me. It's a threat if we don't have $15 minimum wage across the board. Frankly, it needs to be more than that. Because I've been, in, I've been out in the country long enough to know the American people were in crisis before the coronavirus pandemic. Frankly, working people have been in crisis long before Trump even became president. 
That's what the corporate media doesn't understand. They don't care to understand it, and they'll never tell that story.